Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're going to compile a UPR community book list today. We need your help. We're pooling our resources and with our book suggestions, and then we're going to publish that on our website. And uh, that helps each of us to uh, maybe uh, think of books we haven't uh, thought about before and expands our list collectively. So as we head toward the holidays, we want to know what you're reading, what's on your nightstand or device right now. Is there a book that's had a big impact on you? Which books are you looking forward to reading or giving as gifts? Perhaps you'd like to tell us a personal story connected to a favorite book. And any category is welcome, including children's books, young adult. And uh, later in the program, we're going to be getting suggestions on new books from Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City and Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. Um, and here on Access Utah, Tom Williams here. We welcome in now a UPR friend and avid reader, Lane Thatcher, joining Thank us. Thank you. you. It's nice to be here again. It's actually in person. Actually in person. <laughs> that's that's a wonderful thing. Uh, and now you have uh, retired from Summerfest. I have retired, and I am... Way busy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I hear. Uh, uh, busier in retirement than, than than you were before. Yeah. But you have told me you've, you're reading a bit more now. Yes, I'm getting more reading done and doing things like painting and just, you know, things that I've wanted to do, spend more time doing all my life. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. It's all good. Well, let's jump right in. What's first on your list here? Well, I would say the favorite book that I read this time was... Um, Another one by Gary Nabhan, Gary Paul Nabhan, who is, uh, if for those of you who don't know him, he is he's a MacArthur Fellow. He uh, is uh, a Southwestern ethnobotanist. He he's just done amazing work throughout uh, his life, and he deals with questions of food and sustainability, environment. Um, so this book that I read this time was called uh, Where Our Food Comes From, Retracing uh, Nikolay Vavilov's Quest for uh, quest to End Famine. Sorry, I can't read my own paper here. Um, what he does, it's a sort of a biography of this man, uh, Vavilov, who was a Russian scientist who posited this idea that that there are places on the earth where our, many of our common crops originated, you know. So like apples in, um, I can't remember now, Tajikistan or, you know. And um, he travels, he follows, Vavilov traveled all over the world looking for these uh, centers of, of growth and uh, Nabhan traced, retraced his steps. And then it's essentially a biography of Vavilov and then, um, you know, it tragically ends with um, uh, Vavilov under Stalin being uh, imprisoned and dying in prison. And um, But before that, he did remarkable work on identifying many of our original crops and where they came from. And it's just a fascinating story. And you just travel all over the world, you know, with him and... and um, See where wheat began, where apples began, where, um, you know, all these other crops that we consider staples now, where they all came from. He visited apple forests in, I believe, if I'm right remembering, it's been a while since I read it. I think it was Tajikistan where the apples originated. So I would highly recommend that book. It was um, a favorite of mine. That sounds fascinating. And uh, Gary Paul Napan, a wonderful writer. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, he's located in Arizona, too, fairly close, yeah, close um, by to us. Yeah. Not that far away. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you for that. L- let me uh, turn to our listeners. Um, by the way, let me emphasize that uh, you can get your list to us. Could be one book that's really had an impact on you lately or in the past, or it could be a list of books. And we're compiling a UPR community book list. We'll publish that on our website. So we'd love to hear from you. And uh, upraccess at gmail.com is the place to email us, upraccess at gmail.com, upraccess at gmail.com. And here's an email from Marianne Muffaletto, who uh, works here on campus. My current favorite book, she says, Martita, I Remember You, or Martita Te Recuerdo. Stories in English and Spanish. It's by Sandra Cisneros, author of House on Mango Street, translated by Cisneros' longtime translator, Liliana Valenzuela. And so here's a bit of a uh, description. We were waiting for something to happen. Isn't that what all women do until they learn not to? Thinks Karina, a busy Chicago wife and mother, as she reminisces about two friends she met in her early 20s in Paris, all dreaming of great things to come. While cleaning, Karina stumbles along upon a long-forgotten letter from her Argentinian friend Martita who shares memories of she, Karina, and their Italian friend, Paola, barely getting by but chasing adventures in the great European city. And uh, so this is in uh, English, uh, and then you flip it over, it's in Spanish. So it's in in both. (coughs) Excuse me. So that... (coughs) It's a good good way to... um Learn something, learn, you know, practice your Spanish, I would think. Yes, that would be an excellent way to do that. So that is uh, by Sandra Cisneros, translated by Liliana Valenzuela. It's Martita, I Remember You, or Martita Te Recuerdo. And that is suggested by Marianne Mafaletto. So thank you. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, Also, let me get this list in. This is from Stephanie. Stephanie says, our family's favorites are... A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe, Les Miserables by Victor Hugo, Little Bear by Elsa Homeland uh, Minarik, and Just So Stories by Rudyard Kipling. That's uh, Stephanie's Some, some list. classics there, yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. I have not read a couple of these, but, um, uh, you know, greatly impacted by Les Miserables, of course. Of course, yeah. And my... my um Dad always loved Kipling, and so we read Kipling when I was a kid. Ah, yeah. 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 Well, what's next on your list, Tulane? Well, and having lived in Pakistan, you know, I uh, I had a, a little bit of an affinity for Kipling. But, well, another one that really impressed me um, was more of a popular culture kind of a book. It's Born a Crime by uh, Trevor Noah. He's the host of The Daily Show. That's right, yeah. Um, you know, replaced John Stewart. Well, well, Trevor Noah was born of a white father and a black mother in South Africa during apartheid. And um, uh, that's why he was, quote, born a crime. And um, it's the subtitle is Stories from a South African Childhood. And I have to say, I actually listened to this as an audio book, and Trevor Noah reads it himself. So it's... Um, it's you know you hear the the emphases and you hear the he speaks a number of African languages and um, so he uses words from those languages in his reading and he talks about his mother who sounded like sounds like an amazing 
uh, person herself, but just the um, incredible hardship of growing up under apartheid and after apartheid. I mean, it was um, still not easy to be black, or for him, he was classified mostly as colored because he was half white, half black, and um, he never felt like he fit in anywhere. But he's he's really bright, and it's a it's a good story. You know, if if you like The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, I really suggest you read Born a Crime. I, I always love uh, his perspective. I do too uh, on The Daily Show. Yes, it's, it's an outside. You know, it's a South African. Yep. Uh, perspective on our politics and our culture. And it's clever. And, you yeah. know, he, yeah. And he is very bright. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I'll have to check that out. Born a Crime. Yeah, I've, I've heard of the book, but I haven't yeah. haven't read it. it. It was worth it. Excellent. Well, let me get to at least some of, uh, and we'll we'll finish it up, but we don't have time for all of it. Uh, Mon Gregory from Southern Utah has, has emailed in. He says, my best reads of 2021 so far are, and in the fiction category, Nathan Harris's The Sweetness of Water. And number two, Maggie O'Farrell and uh, her book Hamnet. Hmm. So those are the best fiction, according to Mon Gregory. Nonfiction, Helen McDonald's Vesper Flights. And uh, Stephen Preskill's Education in Black and White, Miles Horton and the Highlander Center's Vision for Social Justice. And then in the poetry category, Mon Gregory says uh, Jericho Brown's The Tradition is his top book. Number two is Ross Gay's Catalog of Unabashed Gratitude. And uh, in the children's or YA uh, uh, section, he has three books. Lisa Phipps' Starfish, Kyle Lukoff, uh, Too Bright to See, and Walter Dean Meyer's 150, 145th Street short stories. And then in a category called Wisdom Studies, his two books he suggests, Marcus Aurelius' Meditations, and uh, Stephen Batchelor's The Art of Solitude. So I actually those are Mon's have, books. Yeah, I actually have Marcus Aurelius on my t- to-read stack okay. in, in my bedroom right now um, because I've been wanting to read that. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I may be wrong about this, but that what was the book about the Highlander Center? Uh, let me uh, see that. Uh, Stephen Preskill's Education in Black and White, Miles Horton and the Highlander Center's Vision for Social I, Justice. If I'm remembering correctly, the Highlander Center is one of those folk schools that was established in the American South. Um, and uh, so that sounds like an interesting book uh, to read about about race and, and tradition and art. Yeah, thanks, Mon. That's a a great list in several categories there, so appreciate that. And keep those coming. Uh, Add your list to Mon's and the others we've read, uh, upraxis at gmail.com, upraxis at gmail.com. We now welcome in Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab. Andy, welcome to the program. Well, good morning, Tom. Good morning, Elaine. Hi, Andy. Nice to hear you. Good morning. Likewise. Elaine, I was really pleased to hear you reading Gary Paul Nabhan. He's, He's a favorite of mine. And uh, his Desert Smells Like Rain, a naturalist in the Tohono Autumn uh, area of southern Arizona, northern Mexico, uh, had a profound effect on me when I moved to Utah. And he's just a brilliant, likable, nice guy. Absolutely brilliant. And I, I, my first um, encounter with him was uh, when he founded Native Seed Search down in sure. Tucson. Absolutely. He's just done some incredible work. He has. Well, Andy, before we get into the books uh, you're going to review for us, um, I'm wondering how how's Back of Beyond doing? This has been it's been a tough year and a half. Well, it's been a year of contrast, 
Tom. From uh, the overall perspective, this is the best year Back of Beyond has ever had. And part of that, I think, is simply the realization of, of our visitors that it's important to maintain small independent bookstores. People have more time on their hands during the pandemic, and reading was, fortunately for us, one of the things that people uh, embraced. Uh, on the flip side was our rare and collectible side. We've not attended a rare book fair in almost two years, and so that part of the business has has certainly shrunk, although just in a few minutes we'll be attending virtually the Boston Rare Book Fair oh, from great. Moab. Oh, good, uh, yeah. Great. So the rare book community has attempted to do virtual book fairs, but it's simply not the same as, as actually attending these fairs where you can look at the, the wonderful books that booksellers across the world have to offer. But yeah. we're making do, and, and yeah, we're doing just fine. Oh, um, that, that's very good that's to hear. Good. Very good to hear. Well, Andy, what's what's first on your list? I have a, a pair of books by Gretel Ehrlich. Hmm. First, I reread The Solace of Open Spaces. This was published in 1985. It was Gretel's introduction to the uh, incredible beauty and, and harshness of the American West, uh, she she moved to rural Wyoming as a way to kind of begin a new life. I was living in Philadelphia at the time, 1985, when I read this book, and it it made me pine for the West and, and ultimately drew me back West. Beautiful book. And then 36 years later, Gretel has published Unsolaced, Along the Way to All That Is. And... She revisits many of the places that she talks about in the solace of open spaces, plus many of the essays that she's written subsequent. But it's through the lens of of her life, through the lens of of grief, her life has been filled with uh, beauty and grief, but also through the lens of climate change. And in Unsolaced, Easily the most profound essay I've read all year is her, there are several essays actually, on her revisiting Greenland. It's one of her favorite Mm. places on Earth. She has befriended uh, many of the native hunters. And the effects of climate change on their environment are absolutely profound, stark, and moving. And the, the few essays that she writes within Unsolaced on Greenland alone are worth the price of the book. It's just a, a tremendous uh, read. It's not an uplifting read, but climate change is affecting all of us, and um, she puts into words what we're all thinking. That sounds great. I, rem- I read The Solace of Open Spaces many years ago, and um, so it sounds like I would like to follow up and read Unsolaced. Absolutely. They are they are bookends of her literary career. So that is Gretel Ehrlich, yeah, a great writer. Uh, what's, what's next on your list, Andy? Next is a memoir by the naturalist Susan Twight. It's titled Bless the Birds, Living with Love in a Time of Dying. And it's it's not a pandemic memoir. It's, it's mostly pre-pandemic. Susan and her husband, uh, Richard, uh, went on a 4,000-mile road trip after he was diagnosed with mostly inoperable brain cancer. Uh, 
And this road trip was, for them, a celebration of life and a, a realization of his uh, diagnosis. But they had never celebrated their honeymoon after they were married. Life just got in the way, and so they decided to go on their honeymoon. And it's it's not a sad book, but we know what the ending pretends. But because Susan is a naturalist, she writes... Uh, through that lens, and it's it's nuanced, it's beautiful, it's heartfelt, and the title comes from the fact that Richard saw began to see birds, huge flocks of birds that simply didn't exist. And again, as a naturalist, Susan was trying to understand what was going through uh, Richard's brain. But it's a love song to life, and it's fleeting nature, and it's about 10 years in the making, and it's a book that anyone who's encountered profound loss, I think, would relate to and understand. And after all, we all all will understand profound loss. So it's, I think, a book for everyone. Bless the Birds, Living with Love in a Time of Dying by Susan J. Twight. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a very good read. Yeah, thank you for that, uh, Susan J. Twight. Uh, what's up next? Well, this is a book that, uh, Tom, you're very familiar with since you just interviewed Brooke Williams, but it's also a book that is uh, near and dear to my heart. And as a little full disclosure, uh, Brooke and I, during the pandemic, uh, became very close. He and Terry were uh, secluded in their house in Castle Valley, and Brooke would come into Moab once a week for groceries. And we fell into a routine where Brooke would um, knock on the back door of the bookstore, and we would just chat for about an hour each week. And it was my main contact as the book was closed, or the store was closed for part of this time, and even after we reopened, uh, we were very, very um, mask-oriented and, and didn't interact for lengths of time. And so it was during this period that I got to know Brooke very well. And while I take no credit for what's in the book, we certainly talked about many of the themes within Mary Jane Wilde, Two Walks and a Rant. And Brooke, after the uh, election of five years ago, took off into the Mary Jane wilderness near his house and spent two nights, three days, just wandering, thinking, pondering. And then he did that same walk four years later. And it's a profound book. It's full of Buddhist thought, political thought, Jungian philosophy, natural history. And for me, it finally allowed me to get into the inner psyche of Brooke Williams. And I love the the blurb that Terry gives the book. After all, they've been married for 46 years. She says, I have lived with this man for 46 years, and this book surprised me, a reminder of the secret lives we inhabit and where they can lead us. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a strong, strong book for thought, and there's so much in it. And while it does touch a lot on the politics, uh, it it revolves around that as a theme, but it's nuanced and, and beautiful. Hmm. Brooke Williams's Mary Jane Wilde, Two Walks and a Rant. Well, I'm, I'm going to have that 
great mental image now. Brooke Williams knocking on the on the door of Back <laughs> yeah. and Beyond Books. <laughs> yeah. It was <laughs> to, a special to time. talk to his and friend Andy. Yeah, you can't replicate. You yeah. can't plan. It just came about. And he became my touchstone, and I think I became his. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful book, Mary Jane Wilde, uh, Brooke Williams. What's up next? Well, finally, I've got to get some fiction in my life. I don't read a lot of fiction. Fiction usually disappoints me for various reasons. But I picked up uh, Robert or Todd Robert Peterson's uh, debut novel titled Picnic in the Ruins. Peterson is a professor at Southern Utah University, and I'm always wary of books that their themes are Southern Utah. It's a a land we all know very, very well. And this book has a fictional national monument along the Utah-Arizona border. It has major protagonists as illegal pot hunters, protagonists as legal pot hunters. It has a park ranger who goes astray, a small town sheriff, an archaeologist, and the idea that this fictional monument was going to be shrunk by a fictional president. (laughs) Yeah, it's not fiction. It happened. It's real. And yet, he, he actually captures what has happened in southeast Utah and southern Utah, uh, I think, fairly well. I, he parodies some of um, us down here, but I think anyone outside of southern Utah will read this and have a much better understanding of what we've gone through in the last five or six years in land management we suffered through a, a major uh, FBI sting down in Blanding over pot hunting, and there were several suicides that came out of that. And, of course, the National Monuments uh, being uh, established by Obama, reduced by Trump, reestablished by Biden. It's all in the book, and it's a fun read. Picnic in the Ruins by Todd Robert Peterson. Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds like a, a great read. Yeah, I'm going to have to get that one. Well, Andy, do you, do you have any more? We have a little more, bit more time in the hour here. I do. Another piece of fiction. And this is by the writer, the Colorado writer, Peter Heller. And he came on the scene about 10, 12 years ago with his book Dog Stars, which I absolutely adored and loved, a post-apocalyptic novel. And he's written, I think, four additional novels. His latest is called The Guide, and it follows up uh, his previous novel, The River. And both of these have the same protagonist who's a outdoor um, guide. And in one case, he's uh, leading a, a small trip up in the wilds of, of Alaska or northern, uh, southern Canada, which ends up in, in tragedy. This one, he's a fly fishing guide in a rural community outside of Crested Butte, Colorado. And the premise of the book is during the pandemic and that this fly fishing lodge is a safe place for the rich to go during the pandemic. The dark side is that there's something nefarious going on in the adjoining piece of property. And for me, the book began to go off the rails when he 
introduces this second uh, story into the book. I thought he was doing a masterful job of uh, talking about pandemic isolation and fly fishing and what the rich do when they escape. So it didn't quite work for me, but I, I do like the direction he was going, and I'd be interested in hearing what other people think about Peter Heller's latest book, The Guide. Hmm. Yeah, well, we'll throw that out there. If anybody's read that, uh, let us know. But, uh, but there, were, there, were, there was something good in there, I guess, enough to, to, to you intrigue know, it you. Was, it was a gripping novel. I, I read through it in, in just about a day. And any novel that you can do that has to have some, some validity to it. I just found a large, large part of it to become improbable and didn't work in the storyline for me. Yeah. Any other books, uh, Andy? Well, finally, I want to introduce a new novelist to me. He's written eight or nine uh, mysteries in the Charles Bloom Murder Mystery Series, and this is the art dealer Mark Sublette. And he's very well known in southern Arizona for the, the uh, Medicine Man Gallery, probably one of the, the premier Native American art galleries in the country. And lo and behold, during a visit he made to the store this year, he mentioned that he's an author. And I love the premise of his protagonist who's an art dealer on Canyon Road in Santa Fe. And that introduces him to a Navajo artist who he represents and becomes very well known. And then this artist is signed by a large gallery in New York City, and things begin to go haywire from there. And it, uh, again, has some plot problems but because it takes place in the American Southwest and it's a art-based mystery, I really did enjoy it, and I look forward to the next seven novels by uh, Dr. Mark Sublette, a Charles Bloom murder mystery, Paint by Numbers. They're kind of hard to find. He self-publishes and mostly self-distributes. I suspect you can get them through that uh, retailer up in Washington, but you can also get them... I'm sure through any good independent bookstore, including Back of Beyond. Well, uh, thank you, Eddie. That's a great list, that and we'll like we'll too, have yeah. that later today up on our website, uh, upr.org. Andy Nettle from Back of Beyond Books in Moab has joined us. So thanks so much. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate the time, and you're very welcome. Thank you. Uh, well, let's uh, uh, go to a break next. We'll come back with more of Elaine's uh, books. And uh, we'll also have with us uh, Ann Holman from the King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. We hope to have you as well. Before we go to break, I just want to uh, throw this out uh, as well. We had a listener email us, uh, didn't want their name out there, but uh, uh, said uh, suggested leave the gun, take the cannoli. <laughs> um, and uh, they say, growing up in New Jersey, I can relate. <laughs> they said so. They're suggesting leave the gun, take the cannoli. Uh, we'll add that to the list as well. Thank you so much for that suggestion. And uh, add your suggestion to theirs and to Andy's and Elaine's. Uh, uh, we want a, a broad, interesting, textured list as we always do. And you can help us do that by adding your book or your list of books that uh, you're suggesting that we read 
um, your favorites, maybe something that's impacted you. You Tell us a personal story about that if you'd like. Email us to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. That's upraxcess at gmail.com. More following this. This is Gina Wickwar for Bringing More to Life. Aging adults benefit from social support, which is essential to living independently longer. Positive social experiences in late age are linked with immediate health benefits, including better immune function. Research shows that even if they don't remember, positive social interactions with persons with dementia yield more positive behavior and higher well-being, both short-term and long-term. Whether at home or in a care facility, find time to interact with an older adult, with or without dementia. Simply listen to the person express his or her thoughts, feelings, and needs, and you will both smile. Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Retired and Senior Volunteer Program of Cache and Rich Counties, bolstering social support and well-being of aging adults and family caregivers. Information at sunshineterrace.org slash RSVP. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams, we're compiling another UPR community book list. We do this periodically. We appeal to you to uh, email us with your favorite book or maybe your list of books that you're reading lately or has had an impact on you throughout your life. And uh, email that to us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, and we'll get that up on our website, upr.org. And uh, that just uh, broadens our reading reach, uh, so to speak. Uh, we have Elaine Thatcher with us uh, in studio. Um, our listener suggested leave the gun, take the cannoli. Of course, that's a line from The Godfather, right? right. But they're saying this is a book that they're enjoying. And they said growing up in New Jersey, they can relate. Uh, so I looked it up here, leave the gun, take the cannoli, um, book by Mark Seal, The Epic Story of the Making of the Godfather. So it does sound uh, does sound very interesting, uh, and that's a suggestion. We'll have that on our UPR community book list. Uh, what's next on your list, Elaine? Well, um, I have several. Um, I, I'm going to just react to one that I read that I didn't enjoy, uh, but I'd love to hear what other people think. You know, when I was oh probably back in the set 1970s when I was young, I uh, I got hooked on Herman Hesse, and um, read a couple of his books, and and then I there were few of his books that I hadn't read, so I kind of wanted to go back, and I read Steppenwolf, um, a famous book, you know, um, and I didn't care for it at all. <laughs> I think I've lost my 60s and 70s, you know, uh, vibe, whatever it is, but, um, you know, it's an existentialist kind of, uh, it's a novel uh, about a, a man who's kind of lost and then found, and um, but you know, I, I think because it's sort of one of those classics from that period, I would recommend people should read it. I'd love to hear what other people think of it. Yeah, yeah. So we'll put uh, say it again. Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf. We'll By see Her- what Herman Hesse. See what uh, see what people think. We also have thrown out uh, what do you think of the latest Peter Heller book? Yeah. Um, Andy was so so. Yeah. On it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, what's next on your list, Lynn? Um, I um, enjoyed another one, uh, another nonfiction group book. Uh, this is called Anthrovision. 
A New Way to See in Business and Life, and this is by um, Jillian Tett. She is a trained anthropologist, but she has been a journalist, a finance journalist most of her life, I believe. And um, I wasn't sure if I was going to, you know, enjoy this or not, but she has some very interesting things to say about the contributions of anthropologists in business and how they... um, how seeing things through an anthropologist's eyes can open up understanding and vistas. I really did like it, actually. Um, and, um, you know, there's there's argument in within anthropology and related disciplines about the, uh, the ethics of working in big business or in any business, you know. Uh, that re- your work should be for the for the people, so to speak. But um, I think she makes a good case for the kind of understanding that anthropological training can give you. And it, it's I'm, I'm making it sound quite pedantic, but it's not at all. It's full of interesting anecdotes. It's well written. It's interesting. It's a fast read um, by Jillian Tett, Anthrovision. Anthrovision, Jillian Tett, great. Uh, add that, of course, uh, to the list. Elaine's list will be on our website as well later today, yeah. as well as we go along. Um, I uh, want to add uh, one of mine. I was inspired by uh, Stephanie's uh, list. She went uh, in the back, kind of gave her best of the best, right? Best of all time uh, list, uh, which included Les Miserables, you remember Uncle Tom's Cabin and others. Um, that made me think of one of my favorite books of all time. I tend to read history and biography a lot. And I love Barbara Tuckman. Mm-hmm. Um, she she wasn't a professional historian. She was, um, but but so talented, so yeah. uh, so wonderful, and what a great writer. And uh, of course, I've read The Guns of August, the story of the beginnings of World War One. But my my favorite book of hers goes back before the war. It's called The Proud Tower. And um, I'll just read a little of the blurb. During the fateful quarter century leading up to World War I, the climax of a century of rapid, unprecedented change, a privileged few enjoyed Olympian luxury as the underclass was heaving in its pain, its power, and its hate. In the proud tower, uh, Barbara Tuckman uh, brings the era to vivid life. And uh, that's an understatement. It's, it's just wonderful. She, she paints scene in, in Britain, in France, in, in Holland. Um, she, she got one chapters on the Dreyfus affair. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, she has a chapter on anarchism. Um, it's just, uh, it sounds like it might have repercussions for our world today. Could, could, yeah, yeah. There's some parallels, parallels. And she mentions that, um, you know, people looking back at that era, um, having experienced world war one, couldn't. You know, it, it, there was a chasm too deep there. So there, there there's a, a really big, horrible demarcation there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it's very interesting to to go back through that that prism. Anyway, The Proud Tower by Barbara Tuckman, one of my favorite books of, of all time. Highly recommend it. Uh, we now bring in uh, Ann Holman from King's English Bookshop in Salt Lake City. Ann, uh, welcome back to the program. Tom, hi Elaine. Hi. It's really nice to be here. Good, good to be here. Before we jump into your list, uh, Anne, how's how's uh, King's English doing? Well, I think you've probably heard that we have a, a new partner. Calvin Crosby is returned <laughs> to the motherland um, after many years in California, and uh, we're just thrilled to have him. We are going to miss Betsy 
obviously. Uh, she'll still be involved with the Ink Singer and what have you, but Calvin's just fitting right in and um, kind of going into the next phase, hopefully post-pandemic, right? That's yeah, what we're all that's, hoping let's for. hope. That's what we're all hoping for, yeah. And uh, I know you, you, know, you have events. A lot of them, most of them are online, but you're you're having events. We are trying to we are trying to keep everything virtual still. Uh, a lot of the authors still don't want to travel, and our store is just so small. It's hard to it's hard to fit people in. We did have a, a live event with <clears throat> Anthony Dore and Cloud Cuckoo Land at the University of Utah, and it was terrific. Um, but I think people are still a lot of people are still nervous about getting together in a in a crowded environment. So yeah. Well. Um... Uh, let's jump in. What's first on your list? Okay, let's just jump in. I'm going to start with fiction. Unlike Andy, I love fiction. <laughs> Mostly that's what I read. So this year, my favorite book, I, there's so many good books this year. My favorite is called Small Things Like These. It's by Claire Keegan, and it's from Grove uh, Grove Press. It's just a little book, and it's the story of a <clears throat> um, a father in a small town in Ireland who is the the person who distributes coal to the homes, and, and most interestingly, to the convent where the nuns run what you are initially led to believe is a, a girl's school. What you find out pretty quickly is that it's one of the old Magdalene laundries where young girls who had become pregnant were sent to have their babies, but really it was a workhouse in some of the most horrifying conditions you can imagine, and we just didn't know that much about them. He is, right before Christmas, two days before Christmas, going to deliver some coal to the convent, and he opens the door to the coal cellar and finds a young girl who is clearly malnourished, and he asks her what she's doing there, and he takes her up to the convent and asks the the Reverend Mother what, what is going on. And it's it's clear that the Reverend Mother is surprised to see this girl, and... One thing leads to another, and we find out that this man, who is the father, a very good Catholic in a small village and has five daughters of his own, has to make some big decisions. And the thing that struck me most about this book is it's very short. It's only 90 or 95 pages. When all was said and done, this whole thing took place in 1985. You get the impression that, oh, this could never happen now, and... They're, they're using coal to heat their homes, and it must have been in, I don't know, let's say 1910, and it wasn't that long ago. And actually, the last of the Madeline Laundries were only um, discovered and, and closed in the 1980s and 1990s. So really kind of an interesting story about caring for your fellow human being and making decisions and what would you do, what would I do. Just It's just my favorite book of the year. I'm going to give it to everybody. Hmm. Well, that, that does sound great. Uh, tell us the, the title and uh, author again. <clears throat> so it's called Small Things Like These, and it's by Claire Keegan. Very and good. And you can fit it in a Christmas stocking. Oh, yeah. Great, great suggestion. Yep, that yeah. would be good. What, what's next? Okay, then I really quickly wanted to mention the, the three powerhouse books this fall for us. Uh, the Lincoln Highway by Amor Tolls. Loved this book. A lot of people loved A Gentleman in Moscow and Rules of Civility, and they're two books that people love to argue about. The Lincoln Highway is going to give fodder for argument again. It is uh, a road story. It takes place over 10 days, starts in Nebraska, 
and they actually head east. You think that because it's the Lincoln Highway, they're going to head west, but they actually head east to New York City, and it's Emmett and his little brother Billy, who have been kind of accosted by these two young men that were in the workhouse with Emmett, for reasons that you'll find out. (laughs) Duchess is a beloved, terrible, interesting, crazy character who leads them astray, and Billy is a little eight-year-old who's charming. Emmett is stoic, trying trying to do right by his brother. Their parents have passed away. And you will start reading and you won't be able to stop. And then you'll get to the end and say, I have to talk about this book with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those, Anybody. Those are the best, aren't <clears throat> they? Yeah. And then Cloud Cuckoo Land is Anthony Doerr's new novel. It's completely different from All the Light We Cannot See in, in many ways. And yet the analogy he uses is the way that we build walls, either to keep people out or to keep people in. And Cloud Cuckoo Land focuses on four or maybe five, four different stories that take place in the past in Constantinople and then moving forward into present day and on into the future. And what the stories all have in common is an ancient Greek text called Cloud Cuckoo Land and how it shapes these these stories of these people. It takes a little while to get started with it because it is it's a little more complicated than a standard, straightforward read, and it's just so rewarding. So I would say to anybody who gets started, please please keep going, because once you get to maybe page 100, 150, you're not going to want to stop. That so Cloud Cuckoo Land by Anthony Doerr. Yeah, very interesting. And finally, Richard Powers' new book, Bewildered. We all loved, um, oh, it's gone out of my head, the tree book, Overstory, um, the yeah. Overstory. Mm-hmm. Bewilders is, is a different book. It's about a, a man who is a scientist and his son, who is severely <clears throat> um, Asperger's. His wife has died, and his son is really struggling. And one of the things that he does with him at night is they lay in bed, and he tells them stories about planets. His son will say, well, what about this planet? And he'll make it up. The life on the planet, the flora, the fauna, and it calms this little boy, and it gives him the ability to kind of go outside of himself. And it's the story of, of how he's trying so hard to raise this boy on his own and keep his job and keep the boy safe and, and what ultimately happens um, to both of them. It's just not a very long book, but extremely, extremely powerful. Oh, that's, that does another, sound wonderful. Another yeah, it recommend for Christmas. Yeah. What, uh, Beautiful. What? So that's Bewildered. Yeah. What's next? And then I want to mention a couple of mysteries. Craig Johnson has a new mystery. I love when he has a new book. This is called Daughter of the Morning Star. And in this story, he's dealing with missing indigenous women. And he focuses on one young girl who's a senior in high school. She's a star basketball player. Her sister has been missing for a year, likely never to be found. And throughout the book, as 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 Walt Longmire is trying to solve the mystery, we get a lot of statistics about how many women are going missing on not only not only on the reservation but <clears throat> everywhere in not just in America but in Canada. And the, the statistics are horrifying. It's a very satisfying mystery, but it's also just a really interesting um, commentary on on what we uh, as humans need to be doing better. Uh, so 
But, are, but again, you know, great Walt really... Longmire, the humor's there, yep. the, the mystery's there. And, <clears throat> and every so often, you know, Craig puts a little bit of magical realism in, and, and there's plenty of that in this one, too. So people will really like this. What was the title again? And then Derek Miller has a new book <clears throat> called How to Find Your Way in the Dark. I think you've heard me talk about Norwegian by Night and American by Day. And now we have How to Find Your Way in the Dark, where we meet Sheldon as a young boy. As the book opens, he's driving home with his father. They've just buried his mother <clears throat> after an accident, and they are run off the road by some strangers. And his father dies in the car accident, but Sheldon sees the person who ran them off the road. And that's what sets the story in motion. If you love Norwegian by Night, you're going to want to read How to Find Your Way in the Dark and see how Sheldon got his start in life. Hmm. That's that's great. But, I'm uh, loving these. Yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> By the way, the, the Craig Johnson title, Daughter of the Morning Star, right? Daughter of the Morning Star. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. What uh, what else? If I if I have time, I've got a few kids' books. Yes, definitely. Okay, so <clears throat> Peter Reynolds has a new book called Our Table, a picture book, and it's the story of a family who, over time, due to looking at their cell phones, being interested in other things, their table has literally disappeared. And the little girl in the family thinks to herself, there's something wrong here. I miss having time with my family. I miss having conversations. And she sets about trying to rebuild the table and get her people back at it. And so it's kind of a Thanksgiving story, a story of community and how the table gets rebuilt and they all come back together. It's a very, very charming read aloud. Great for Thanksgiving. So that's Our Table by Peter Reynolds. And then my next one is called I Eat Poop, a dung beetle story. I mentioned this one because Mark Pett is a local author and illustrator, and it's such a funny book. And when you hear the title, you think, oh, my goodness, what could this possibly be about? <laughs> well, what it's really about, it is about a, a dung beetle, and he does eat poop because that's what they do. But he's embarrassed to go to school because he thinks everybody's going to make fun of him. There's Penelope Praying Mantis, and there's Ronald Roly-Poly and Sammy Stinkbug, and he believes <clears throat> that everybody else eats normal things. Earthworms eat dirt, ants eat crumbs, but nobody eats poop. Well, what he comes to find out pretty quickly is that everybody has something, right, which is true in life. <laughs> Even the popular bugs maybe eat weird things. <laughs> yeah. And his friend, his friend, uh, Herman the housefly eats something akin to poop and has no problems with it. He's like, what do I care? Anyway, <laughs> by the time you get to the end of the story, you realize that everybody eats weird stuff, and everybody has weird stuff, and we can all be friends. As, as the it, daughter of an entomologist, I have to say that would have been a perfect book for my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just read you one page. A second, grader play, a second grader praying mantis spoke up. So... My mom ate my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, perfect book for little ones. Good to sit on your lap with. And then my last picture book is called Pando. Oh, Oh, interesting. This is the true story of Pando down in Fish Lake Forest. The subtitle is A Living Wonder of Trees. And Kate Allen Fox has taken what we know and love as Pando and illustrated it for kids who may not even know what it is. Beautiful color watercolor illustrations. And then... uh, some facts in the back about what it really is, what these aspen trees represent, and how important they are to the world. 
So again, this is a picture book, not too many words, easy to climb, climb a little kid up on your lap and, and read through it. It's called mm-hmm. Pando, A Living Wonder of Trees. That might All be right. a good one for a bunch of adults I know. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> yeah. sure. It's, it's a beautiful <laughs> book. And I know we're running short on time, but I would be remiss if I didn't also mention that Shannon Hale and Dean Hale have a new graphic novel called Amethyst, Princess of Gemworld. Ah, okay. The, the, the latest, <laughs> Shannon Hale and Dean Hale. Great. They do such a good wonderful, job. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, well, thank you. We'll, we'll have your list up on our website, upr.org, a little later today. Ann Holman, King's English Bookshop. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Good luck to all of you there. Uh, we are just about a minute left. I want to mention this from the two books from Susan Crook, who's emailed us. Um, what Beauty There Is by Corey Anderson and The Phone Booth at the Edge of the World by Lara Imai Messina. Those sound Great. intriguing, yeah, so we'll have to do. check those out. Those will be on our list as well. Uh, maybe one last book, Elaine? Well, I have been doing a lot of reading on subjects that would— I usually don't bring up books that I'm reading that are sort of esoteric in terms of interest levels, but I have. I, one of the subjects I've been reading about is creativity and oil painting because that's something I've been doing in my retirement. Um, and I just have to recommend a book called The Artist's Journey, by uh, Nancy Hillis. She is a psychiatrist and artist, an abstract artist out in California. And I just love her approach to creativity. And I mean, it's very painting oriented in this book, but um, she, you know, you could probably adapt some of her ideas to other forms of, of wanting to be creative. You know, she talks about don't try to write the novel at first, you know, make a start, write the first sentence, write, write 10 first sentences, you know, write, uh, paint 10 starting images, you know, it's, um, I, so I'd recommend The Artist's Journey by Wonderful. Nancy Hillis. Wonderful. And we're out of time here, but we'll have the rest of your list up on, on our website. Thank you. Elaine Thatcher's joined us. Thank you. Thanks so Appreciate much. It. And thanks, everyone, for uh, for adding your uh, list to our list. We'll have that up on our website, upr.org, a little later today. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah. It's many cultures, one sky. Skywatcher Leo T here. In some solar system magic, an interesting partial eclipse pops up with the full moon late tonight into Friday morning. And although it's not a total eclipse, it will be the longest one of the century. During the eclipse, the Earth's shadow covers a large portion of the moon, and if the clouds work with us, it'll be a mysterious sight. According to the website Eclipses and SLC, the partial eclipse starts at 11.02 Thursday night and is at its largest coverage of the moon by 2.02 a.m. Friday morning. According to the American Astronomical Society, a lunar eclipse happens when the sun, Earth, and full moon form a near-perfect lineup in space. It's what's known as syzygy. The moon will be high in the east, hanging with twinkly Pleiades, the Seven Sisters, subtle, fainter Hyades, and Mandarin Orange Aldebaran. And in other space happenings, an asteroid narrowly missed the Earth on October 24th. The refrigerator-sized rock cruised over Antarctica about 1,800 miles is all from Earth. And with events like this in mind, NASA's Double Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART, launches November 23rd or 24th, sending the DART spacecraft hurtling into a near-Earth binary asteroid. It's shaped kind of like a spinning top. Scientists hope to bump it out of its orbit and see if that'll work later on stuff that might be coming a little closer to the Earth. 
It was this week in November that a couple of major space flights took place. Apollo 12 and Gemini 12 was one. In general, folks may not realize what an amazing groundbreaking or space-breaking work was completed by the Gemini program. Long-duration space flights and learning how to orbit and rendezvous with different spaceships and capsules all led up to the moon landings. Gemini 12, the final mission of Gemini program, ended successfully on November 15, 1966, as astronauts James Lovell and Edwin Aldrin splashed down safely in the Atlantic after spending four days in orbit. From Susan Boulay, what I'm trying to say is hard to tell and hard to understand, unless, unless you have been yourself to the edge of the deep canyon and have come back unharmed. Maybe it all depends on something within yourself, whether you're trying to see the water snake or the red cornflower, whether you go out to meet death or to seek life. From Anne Murrow Lindbergh, we walk up the beach under the stars, and when we are tired of walking, we lie flat on the sand under a bowl of stars. We feel stretched, expanded to take their compass. They pour into us until we are filled with stars up to the brim. This is what one thirsts for, I realize, the magnitude and universality of a night full of stars pouring into one like a fresh tide. Keep looking up, looking in, and get lost in space. Skywatcher Leo T on UPR with translator stations statewide and streaming live. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSU-FM Logan. With all the anger in the country and your own life. The hormones that your body is releasing, adrenaline, cortisol, they're slowly killing you. (laughs) The healthier response is laughing, but it's getting tougher. We've got all these unwritten rules about who can laugh and who can't laugh. The latest laughter research, laughter experts, and stupid jokes to help you laugh at more things more often. Join us for a special program called LOL on UPR, Friday, November 19th at 10 a.m. Made possible by the USU Institute for Disability Research Policy and Practice, working to create healthy, inclusive communities through innovative research, service, technical assistance, and education. Information at idrpp.usu.edu.